The title of the message this morning is Secure Your Anchor. Secure Your Anchor. The big idea, and I'll give you time to do this. I've got an illustration after this, so we'll let it sit up there for a minute. The big idea is this, that because Christ is preeminent and his message superior to all others, we must anchor our lives in the gospel lest we drift away from him. I'll read that again. Because Christ is preeminent and his message superior to all others, we must anchor our lives in the gospel lest we drift away from him. Now, I am not a, a mariner. Um, I really would be happy to not be out on a lake in a boat or in the ocean in a boat. Actually, that's not 100% true because Sarah and I are going to be gone this coming weekend uh, on a cruise. So I like a big boat that, that I don't have to worry about setting an anchor. But, but I did go online for about three minutes and read some information about anchors. Um, so I'm now an expert. And, uh, and I will share with you what I learned. Um, basically, has anybody, has anybody like have experience with setting anchors? All right, so we've got a couple people. Um, just plug your ears in case I say anything wrong. All right, so uh, anchors are, are actually, it's, it's kind of interesting. They make different types of anchors, really for different types of um, soil, different types of, of, I don't know what you'd call it, the, the bedrock, the, the stuff under the water, right? The, the ground. And, uh, and there's different kinds that you can have. You could have sand, you could have mud, you could have rocks. Um, so there's lots of different types of, of soil there that, that the anchor needs to go into. Now, the little experience that I have with anchors is in a rowboat. And I'll be honest, the, the anchor that we use in the rowboat is, is not very strong. Um, and we don't really know how to use it. So we, we basically just drop it over the side and hope the boat doesn't float away. That's pretty much how we use it. So uh, I did learn a little bit about how it's supposed to be done. Um, you're supposed to really, you, you want something with good weight so that it goes down and it actually penetrates the ground, penetrates the sand or the mud or the, or the rock. And then you want to you pull back on it. You want to you set it. Uh, those of you who are fishermen probably have a better idea of how this works by fishing. You want to set that hook, uh, right? So uh, you want, you want that, that uh, anchor to be shaped correctly, to have the right weight so that when it drops down through the water, it penetrates into that soil, that sediment. And it penetrates in such a way that, that when you pull on it, when you pull on it the right way, it, it holds fast. And that's kind of the picture that we have here in this first verse of Hebrews. Here, the, the writer of Hebrews has just finished chapter one. Obviously, he didn't write it in chapters. Uh, so he's finished this first section that we have in chapter one, and he's been talking about Christ. And Christ is preeminent, and his, his message, his word is preeminent as the final authority and the final revelation from God. And, and, and his message and he himself is greater than, than any other type of messenger. And we have the angels, which in our minds would be probably the greatest types of messengers that we could think of. You know, when we think of God wanting to communicate something to, to people, the most fantastic way is through angels. You know, he used prophets, of course, but, but you, I mean, we want, if you want something dramatic, it was, it was an angel. Right, whether it was Gideon or whether it was um, uh, uh, Abraham or whether it was uh, Lot, <laughs> whether it was Mary, you know, God, God was communicating those very important things through this 
fantastic means of angels. And yet Jesus and his message is greater than those things. And the idea that the, that the author of Hebrews wants us to understand here is that we need to anchor our lives in the message of Jesus Christ. We need to anchor our lives in the message of Jesus Christ. When you look at the Greek words here, it has an idea of a nautical theme. We anchor in Jesus Christ so that we do not drift away. The idea there is being carried away slowly like a, like a piece of driftwood. And so as we look at these verses this morning, we need to understand how or why we should anchor our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to see is the shape of the anchor. The shape of the anchor. This is found in verse 1. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The word therefore is there for a reason, right? It's there so you can look back and see what's, what he's been talking about. We just talked about that. Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God to man because Jesus is above all things and the heir of all things. He owns everything. He created everything because Jesus' words and teaching are greater than any angelic messengers of truth. Because of this, therefore, for this reason, we should do these things. And what is he calling us to do? He says that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. That word must there is the Greek word day. It means that it is necessary also can have the, the idea of it being obligatory, all right? This is not, this is not an option. This is not something that, that would be really good if you guys would, uh, would do this. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this is a necessity because Jesus is better because his word is better. We have a necessity and that necessity is to pay much closer attention. That word there is prosecco. It means that we must take great care to pay close attention, kind of an idea of, of re-examining, of, of digging deeper. I think it's interesting to think about the idea of an anchor and how it has to penetrate, it has to go into the soil, into the sand, into the mud, whatever it's, it's going into, it has to penetrate to get a good hold. And it's interesting that he gives us this idea here that we must take great care. This is not something that that we take lightly. This is not something that we learn in Sunday school one time and we move on to, to greater and better things. This is something that we take very great care. It's, it's of utmost importance. Other translations use the word most care. This is the most important thing that we as believers should be anchoring our thoughts and our actions and our lives upon. Take, pay, we must pay much closer attention. It's interesting that, that he uses those words, that we must pay much closer attention, as if he understands that we are prone to wonder. As we were singing that song, I, can't, I couldn't help but think of, of the message, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And if we are not taking that careful care and attention to continually refocus our minds on this aspect that he's going to talk about, then we 
will drift away. We will drift away. So what is it that we are to pay so much attention to? He says, to what we have heard. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What is that? Well, back up to chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So, that's something that we've heard, right? We have the Old Testament, the teaching of the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets, etc. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. The things that we have heard, really, what He's talking about is the Gospel. Because Jesus is greater even than the Old Testament. Yes, it's still God's word. Yes, it is still relevant. But Jesus has come and his life and his message, the gospel is more important. And it is that to which we must anchor our lives. This includes everything that God spoke in the past. Even Paul made that assertion. He said, uh, some of you uh, Awana kids probably, probably know this verse. The things that were written in former days, he's talking about the Old Testament scripture, were written for our instruction, right? And I forget the rest of the verse, I didn't write it down, but it's, it's for our hope in the scriptures. And so the, Paul would echo that in, in his passages as well. So it includes the things that God spoke in the past, but even more particularly, particularly it includes what Jesus Christ has spoken to us. So in the context here, the writer is specifically referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, This is not the only warning that we have in the New Testament regarding holding fast to or securing ourselves to the gospel. 2 Peter 1 verses 16 through 21 says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were there with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Catch that to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no scriptures comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but but men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, that which you've heard, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is it? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, excuse me, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Hold fast to what you have received. Colossians 2, 6-8. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he, Eric pointed this out last week. And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we, be, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. This is the continual repetition of the New Testament. Our anchor as believers should be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that our anchor should penetrate. It should drive deep. deep. It should be secured fully in Jesus Christ and what we have heard in the gospel. Why? Lest we drift. I want us to look at the significance of the anchor. The shape of the anchor is that it must be formed to fit into the gospel. The significance of the anchor, though, is the reason for the anchor. If you don't have an anchor on your boat, you may not have a boat. It's going to drift away. It's there to secure, to hold you fast, to keep you, your boat from, from wandering, from being lost. And this anchor in Christ is the same for us. Why must we pay this careful attention, constantly giving uh, attention to the message of the gospel in the word of God in case we drift? This could look like simply moving on to other things, deciding that the gospel is, is elementary and, and doesn't impact the rest of my life. It was good enough to get me saved, but that's, that's all. The gospel is foundational to understanding everything else in Scripture. If you don't understand the gospel, then you won't have a full understanding of God. If you don't understand the gospel, you won't have a full understanding of yourself. That, that is the reality. Everything in Scripture points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything from Genesis to Revelation points to Christ. He is the anchor and the gospel, the good news of him is the anchor for our souls. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where that anchor is either not there or constantly being pulled up. There's a a very popular term right now called deconstructionism. 
deconstructionism um, basically is deconstructing, tearing down everything that we believe about God and, and the Bible and Jesus and everything like that. And theoretically, the goal of that is to rebuild it correctly. Unfortunately, most people who go through a process of deconstructionism never reconstruct. And those who do reconstruct most of the time don't reconstruct based on the truth of the Word of God. They reconstruct based on their own feelings. They reconstruct based on their own ideas, what they think is morally right. When we lose sight and understanding of the gospel, that is where we end up. When we forget who Christ is, when it doesn't mean what Scripture says it means anymore, then it can mean anything we want. Another way that we see this is a twisting and perversion of the gospel. We see this in the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it movement. The idea that God is there to, to make your life easy and happy. You just need a little bit more faith. Or you just need to give a little bit more money to me. And God will bless you. They take the Word of God out of its context and they twist it and they pervert it to make it say what they want it to say to line their pockets. And there's the, the New Age movement. This is one of the popular ones is the, the new apostolic revo, res, revolution. Sorry. The new apostolic revolution. The idea that basically we can, be, we can use the things of the world to connect us to God. We can use psychology to connect us to God. We can use chemicals to connect us to God. We can use new age ideas and, and actions to, to help us understand God. Folks, when we are not anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the word of God says about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will slip, we will fall away, we will drift away. God has some very strong words about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 28 through 32, he says to the children of Israel, be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you are not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you, are not, that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? That I may also do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they have even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command to you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it, or take from it. We should never be looking outside of this to understand God. 
to worship God, to follow God. For 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4 says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve in his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus that than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you have accepted a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. This is not a vain fear that Paul had for the Corinthian church. He was deeply concerned that they would allow the things of this world, the philosophies of this world to to come in and take over their understanding of the gospel and ultimately everything in God's word. Galatians 4, 8 through 11, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how could you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is not an idle fear that we have that anyone in this room could fall away from from the gospel. If we are not careful to examine and, and, and dig into and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will drift away. It is our natural tendency. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says this, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The danger is not simply in drifting away. It's not simply and drifting away. He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Now, again, this is kind of a weird statement, right? What is he talking about here? What's this message that was given by angels? We, we dealt with this briefly a couple weeks ago, but just by way of reminder, in, in the Jewish understanding and mindset, the law on Mount Sinai was given to Moses by angels. And uh, we see that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, where Paul says, why then the law? It was added by, because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is, is being tried, he gives this statement. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent both as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. So this is what it's talking about. 
Our fathers refused to obey him, but trusted, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Stephen is reminding them of the giving of the law. He says later on, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. So these angels gave the law. Again, we, we look at messages from angels as, as from God. It's, it's important, but it, this message specifically was, was incredibly important. Why? Because with this message came condemnation. With this message came the law and punishment and sin. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. That phrase here in, in verse 2 says, Every transaction, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. The law was given and, and every instance of sin and disobedience and transgression against the law was punished. And it was punished justly. Romans 12.1 says that, Romans 2.1 says this, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That message from angels, the law of God given to Moses had a grave penalty. The wrath of God forever and ever and ever for those who do not keep it. And the reality is this morning that none of us can. None of us can keep it. And if the message of angels carried such weight, what about the message of Jesus? What about the gospel? He just got done telling us that the gospel, that Jesus is greater than the angels. The gospel is greater than the message that the angels proclaimed. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. If the message delivered to us by angels proved that we will be punished by the wrath of God forever and ever and ever, 
How could we ever expect to escape that if we lose sight of the gospel of Christ? Now, most importantly, of course, when we, when we look at this word of neglecting, we, we should and do consider those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior. To neglect Christ and, and the gospel does not bode well. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that is your end. We don't say that to be mean. We don't say that to act like we're better than you. We say that to call you. To not neglect the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. That is the significance of the anchor. Finally, <clears throat> Let's look at the stability of the anchor. The stability anchor. Why can we trust the gospel? Why can we put all of our effort and our, and our energy into studying and understanding and, and dwelling in and, and glorifying God for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why, why can that be the thing that is most important to us to anchor our lives in? Verse number four. It was, sorry, middle of verse three. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He says, first off there, it was declared at first by the Lord. Now, what's he talking about? The Lord there is specifically referring to Jesus. It's referring to Jesus. It says that this thing that we have heard, which we've come to decide is the gospel, right? Because it is, it is the thing that will, that is the only thing that can save us from this great uh, punishment, right? So it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it says that it was first declared by the Lord. It was first declared by Jesus. Jesus did a lot of teaching. Um, and, and if you're not careful, you may think that he, he was preaching other things outside of the gospel. But really, everything that he taught was part of the gospel. In fact, Mark kind of gives us a, a good summary statement in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, now after John, that's John the Baptist, the baptizer, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Remember, what does the gospel mean? 
means good news, right? It means good news. He's proclaiming the good news of what? Of the kingdom of God. The next verse says, and saying, this time, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice what he says, repent and believe the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Like the whole book of Acts? Repent and believe the gospel. The good news. What was that good news? The perfect sacrifice has come. The long-awaited for Messiah has come. Repent and believe in me. So many times, I think in the book of John, Christ called them to believe in him. The message wasn't veiled. It wasn't hidden. Believe in me. It was declared first by the Lord. But as if that wasn't enough, what does he say? And it was attested to us by those who heard. Uh, This is another reason why I don't think Paul wrote this. Um, If you remember earlier in that chapter, in, in, um, I think it was Galatians, I have to look it back up. He's talking about all the different people that, that Jesus, after he was risen, showed himself to. And one of them was him. And, and Paul actually spent three years in the desert with Christ, being taught by Christ. So that's why another reason why I don't think Hebrews was written by Paul. Um, because he says, what does he say here? He says, it was attested to us by those who heard. Right? So these are people who heard, attested, gave their testimony to us. If you remember back in 1 Peter, we saw Peter was saying that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So people who saw him, who who knew him, who heard the gospel that he preached, then repeated it to us. Acts 5 verse 30 and 32 through 32 says this, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is Peter and John as they're brought before the, uh, the um, religious leaders there in Acts chapter five. He says, we are witnesses of these things. Jesus Christ proclaimed the gospel. The disciples heard the gospel and spread the gospel out to us. We have a chain of clear truth. And then they were, most of them killed because of it. They were martyred for it. This wasn't just something that they came up with. This was the truth of God proclaimed first by Christ and then by the disciples and and other uh, disciples who had heard Christ. But he continues, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. Do you love the book of Acts? You ever wish that you could have been there in the book of Acts in in the early church and seen all the amazing things? Now, again, you, as I mentioned before, you can see a lot of uh, fake versions of that today. You can see a lot of people who are trying to 
come up with their own miracles and signs and wonders. Why would they want to do that? Why, why, why would they be trying to go after those miracles and, and create these signs? Because it was by those things that God proved yet again that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I, th- for I ought to have commanded by you So I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what you were less for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Paul's being a little. facetious here. He's saying, what, what are you lacking, Corinthian church? What are you missing out that the other churches didn't get? He says, you, you got everything, including the, the proof of a true apostle, which is the signs and wonders and miracles. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. God bore witness to this truth of the gospel by signs and wonders and various miracles. And lastly, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. We've looked at the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, there's lots of them. Um, I don't personally think Scripture gives us even all of them. I think there's probably other gifts that Scripture just doesn't even mention. But there's a lot of them. There's a lot of gifts, and they're given to us uh, to build up the church. But the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are yet another sign of the veracity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says this, In Him, speaking of Christ, also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed. Think about that. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. We're sealed with a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Why can we trust the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the Word of God. Jesus preached it. The disciples witnessed it and passed it along. God confirmed it through signs and wonders and miracles. And he's confirmed it yet again through the Holy Spirit as our seal and guarantee of what is to come. And yet so often we want to move on from the gospel. We want to take the the gospel and kind of just set it aside over here and be like, that was good. I'm on to bigger and better things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that is the message. That is the thing that we should pay careful attention to over and over and over, come back to. That should be where our anchor is, is dug in 
So that when we do begin to drift, when we begin to maybe take some, some other passages of Scripture and, and begin to put into it our own thinking, we're tethered back to the gospel. And we compare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the rest of Scripture and we realize maybe we're wrong. It is our anchor. The question this morning is, where is your anchor? What type of anchor do you have? What type of ground is it, is it plunged into? Where is your anchor this morning? Are you anchored in your own ideas and opinions of what you think is right? Your moral code? Are you anchored in the philosophy of the world and, and its ideas of morality? Whatever doesn't make people feel bad. Are you anchored in your own feelings and driven by your own desires? All of those things will fall apart and leave you adrift with no truth to hold on to. The writer of Hebrews this morning is reminding us that we have a sure and steady anchor. And it is Christ. Are you anchored in the gospel? Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, none of us would even be in this room if it were not for him. If it were not for your love for us and sending Jesus to come to earth to live a perfect life that we could never live. To never once transgress the law, to never once do anything wrong. so that he could give his life as a perfect sacrifice and pay the debt that we would one day have to pay forever and ever and ever in the lake of fire. But you loved us enough to send Jesus to appease your wrath on the cross. And we do not deserve it. We could never earn it. We could never pay you back. We can simply rejoice in the grace that you have given to us and believe by faith in what he has done for us. And what you have promised to us, Lord, as your followers, we look forward not to anything necessarily pleasurable in this world, Lord, but we look forward to an eternity with you forever and ever and ever rejoicing in you free from this body of sin, free from the desires of the flesh, free from sickness and pain, and free to wholly and wholeheartedly worship you. Father, we long for that day. We long to be free from these bonds of pain and sin. Lord Jesus, come quickly. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>